Well, I like to call the midlife crisis piece, the midlife reevaluation, because, you know, there are these developmental stages we go through. But I think when you get to 50, like I'm going to be 52 this year. And when I turned 50, I was so looking forward to it because I feel like this is like the decade of me. Midlife ladies. This is the Dear Midlife Podcast. Unapologetic girl talk that will help you remember who you are and figure out who in the hell you want to become. I'm Shelby Bybee, karaoke party queen, single mom, and an extrovert to a fault. And I'm Trinity Greenfield, a wild-haired woman full of sass, sparkle, and a heavy dose of black girl magic. So grab a glass and let's dive into the messy middle. So, you know, once I had a friend who told me at a party that she hated being my friend. (laughs) Yeah. It was a New Year's Eve party and she Uh. might have been a little bit drunk and probably super high. (laughs) But I honestly, I was taken aback by the comment. Um, Seriously. Yeah, totally. But then when I asked her why, her reply was even more astounding. Do you know what she said? No, I have no idea. I am literally on the edge of my seat and I'm actually laughing that you even asked <laughs> I know why. <laughs> because if someone had said that shit to me, I would have I'd have been ghost. I would not have stuck around for one second longer. <laughs> Bye. Bye. See ya. OK, so what is what was this bitch's problem? Her answer was that I'm too perfect. <gasps> Like, what the hell, right? <laughs> she was like, you have two kids. You're a single mom. Somehow you always have your shit together. You look good. You always bake the fucking homemade cookies for the holiday parties and the whole staff. I can't take it. Mm. So she was like flipped out because she thought I was too perfect. Okay. Now I'm going to say this, but you know, she's actually right. <laughs> Don't you? <laughs> Girl, perfectionism is your literal best friend and you do not mess around, right? You keep it all tight, tight and bright and right. You show (laughs) up every single day. Like when we are working from home, you show up dressed to the nines. And here I am (laughs) in my literal PJs right now. (laughs) And maybe you keep it so tight, Shelbs that you actually don't get to experience the joy that comes in the messiness of life. Those messy spaces where I live and you hear me crack up and die (laughs) laughing at myself because I experience so much craziness in this. But I'm curious, what do you actually think would happen if you just kind of let it go? If you were to just forgive yourself for being imperfect? Hmm. You know, it's, it's actually funny that you say that because that is what we dive into today with our guest, Vicki Smith. Uh, and don't worry, we'll get into your <laughs> obsession with fixing everything too, because that's what we do, girl. Listen, I, you don't have to throw me under the table, but <laughs> look, because, because that's what, that's what happens when we experience some kind of trauma in our lives, right? For me, it has manifested in me having to fix all of the problems to ensure that my people are safe and, and that I'm good. Like, this is what I still do to this day. Mm -hmm. 
And Vicki teaches us that sometimes these protective parts of us, they don't know that we've grown up and they don't know that we've moved into a space in life where they don't know that we've moved into a space of life where we are now safe, that things have been fixed and that we no longer need to be protected. Yeah. Vicki is so brilliant. She's a psychotherapist and a coach who's been in private practice and has also been a mindfulness meditation teacher who's studied yoga and Buddhism for over 20 years. Mm. Yes. So shall we take note? <laughs> Vicki works with people pleasers and perfectionists mm. as a specialty now. And she was trained in internal family systems or IFS, if you will, in 2012. And she received it as a client before that so that she could let go of all of that intense anger that she felt towards her father, who she now suspects actually suffered from borderline personality disorder. Mm -hmm. So because of this IFS approach, she separated herself from his toxicity and she was able to forgive him And more importantly, she was able to heal herself. And Vicki now uses these tools as foundational tools in her work that she does with her clients every single day. Mm. Yes, she created Power to the Pleasers. And I admit I am guilty Hmm. in 2020. And her approach was to use the eight C's of self-leadership, which we discuss in this episode to help the different parts within each of us know that they no longer need to so vigilantly protect Mm -hmm. us. People pleasers are usually pretty hard on themselves. I speak (laughs) my truth Mm -hmm. as being one of them. And this approach helps them begin to treat themselves with more kindness and shift the pattern of self-defeat. So look, girl, if you're out there, And if that inner voice inside of your head is telling you that you are not enough, that you are not good enough, smart enough, pretty enough, thin enough, all of the enoughs, Mm -hmm. then this episode is for you. And we want you to know that you are not alone. We are all in the messy middle together and we've got your back. Leave us a review. And share this episode with a friend or with your dentist or your housekeeper or a colleague or the mail carrier. We don't care who you (laughs) share it with, but share it with someone that you think needs to hear this because together we're stronger and together Mm -hmm. we're better. And together we can create an even more beautiful life. We love you. We love you. And now... Let's offer some love to our next guest, Vicki Smith. Today, we welcome to our Dear Midlife podcast, Vicki Smith. Thank you, Vicki, so much for being here. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me, you too. I've been excited to talk with you. Midlife is, you know, it's right where I'm at. So I figured, I figured we'd have plenty to say. Yes. <laughs> doing it in the middle. Doing it in the middle. <laughs> right in the middle, man. And I tell you what. I'm so excited for this conversation. And one of the things that really stood out to me and we were talking before we jumped into our formal conversation here is this idea of people pleasing and perfectionism. And I think so many women right here in the middle 
are so guilty, if you will, <laughs> doing just that. And we were saying that the impact of that is that women in midlife feel like we have given so much of ourselves over to everyone else that we find ourselves all of a sudden in this place and space in midlife where we're feeling depleted. We're feeling burnt out. We can no longer go through this anymore. And, mm -hmm. but then at the same time, we find ourselves struggling with who we are and what do we want and how can we pay more attention to our own personal needs versus yes. the needs of everyone else. So help us understand how you help your clients do that. Well, I like to call the midlife crisis piece, I like to call it the midlife reevaluation, yes. reflection, because, you know, there are these developmental stages we go through, right? So like each decade kind of has its goal orientation for us. And so, you know, 30s, we're making our mark and making sure people, you know, know that we know what we're doing. And then right. 40s, especially if you're a parent, you might have the kids that are a little bit older. So the thing life at, in the, in the home is a little bit different, maybe a little less chaotic, but maybe not less busy because <laughs> right. kids are so busy these days. But I think when you get to 50, like I'm going to be 52 this year. And when I turned 50, I was so looking forward to it because I feel like this is like the decade of me. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm like, I don't give a fuck about you <laughs> about me anymore. And I've literally earned the right to be like, I don't give a fuck. Like, and there you go. Now, because I'm that old. I can be the yes. old lady who walks around with a cigarette hanging out of her mouth. <laughs> with a crazy hair coming out of her chin. Yeah, with my long ass hair coming out of my chinny chin chin. Yeah, oh my God. Like, it's so freeing y'all. Isn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't worry about whether I look good anymore. Nope. I worry about comfort. Right. <laughs> exactly. Because as sad as it is, like not a lot of people are registering us when we walk down the street, but it's like so freeing. I'm fine. Don't talk to me. I'm good with it, boo. Right. <laughs> right. I feel like we just get to this developmental place where we start to look at like, okay, if I've got another 30 years, yeah, how do I want to spend it? Yes. And it's like underscore highlight I, you know, mm. and because, and, you know, I think that again, when we have kids, I am not a parent. So to human children, but <laughs> I, um, you know, I have enough friends that are and I'm around enough people, but I think we get to that place where the kids are, you know, doing, doing their own thing, even though getting into college is, you know, where a lot of people are right now. And that's a whole process in itself, but there's something about the kids individuating and us kind of starting to see like, okay, there's going to, soon there's going to be, you know, more room in the house. Soon this person's going to be out and, and time starts to feel like we can begin to take it back. So where are my interests? Where did they go? What That's are the extracurricular the activities? And you realize how much you've lost. Like, I literally cannot remember all of the things that used to give me joy. And then I'm like, but if mm. I were to do this, does camping still appeal to me? I really don't know right. if I would even like that anymore because 
I get cold. I get really cold easily now. <laughs> is this even a thing? I Not want to, to mention do? my cranky old back. Like I don't want to exactly. be sleeping on the ground. Like what the hell? I mean, I kind of like my gas stove way better. Right? So, mm-hmm. you know, it's weird. It's it's a weird thing trying to rediscover things that you like to do the, uh, on the dating apps. You're like, what are your hobbies coming on the dating app? Like that's right. <laughs> not my only hobby left. Right. Who am I in these days? Yeah, so so mm-hmm. being able to figure that out and really plug into who you are, what you love and what fits for the woman that you created and, mm-hmm. and turned out to be by this stage in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know what I think I struggle with? Here's what I struggle with. My negative internal narratives, right? Mm. And Trinity, I know that you know me so well. By now, mm-hmm. you I'm know a bus, I'm a bus wide open. I'm going to tell everybody <laughs> what you have to say. I mean, for real. Because, you know, then you do come to this age and stage in life and you are dying to yeah. get out, to do new things. But you're scared shitless because you are telling yourself, oh, I can't do that. Like, who am I to want to start my own business? Who am I to, you know, go out on a date and leave my quite grown children who are completely self-sufficient? I mean, my children babysit other people's children at this right. age and stage. Right. Sure shit, they can take care of themselves if I want to go on a date. But I tell myself, oh, my gosh, they need me or, oh, I can't possibly um, go start my own business or do some of these things. So what are where do these negative narratives come from and what can we do to overcome them so we can push ourselves out there and rediscover and reevaluate to reclaim all those words ourselves as individuals? Yeah, the negative self image or the the internal critic because I work with internal family systems so we work with the parts of our our personality I call it the inner advisory council the people that mm-hmm. kind of hang out around the table and make decisions about how the things how the day is going to go um <laughs> that's been around for so long right that that inner critic is like a sports commentator they just sit above the field and they talk about how somebody missed the ball and it was so obvious to them. And uh, yeah, that, that voice starts early on as self-protection. So I think unplugging from the early patterns, the early programs that we had to use as kids and teens and even twenties, you know, the, the formative years, if you will, being a therapist is I, I can't get away from what happened as a kid and how we right. continue that on to adulthood. But it really is taking that U-turn and looking inside and saying, OK, everyone's got an inner critic. What is mine saying to me and how often do I just listen to it without ever considering that it might see me as an eight year old? when really I'm a 51 year old, you know, so there's a, there's an updating, like we do software updates on our laptops or whatever of the way that this protective defensive strategy that we used for so long, like making sure everybody's happy with us, you know, the perfectionism, making sure I do it right, making sure I don't make a mistake. You know, the critic is in there going, okay, tweak it 10%, you know, to the left, 
and sometimes we can say, well, you know what? I'm actually okay with kind of just futzing around with this. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to make a bad grade. This is not one of those scenarios. So I do a lot of work with clients about deprogramming those early strategies that got us through. I mean, I grew up with a critical dad. I grew up with a codependent mom. So all of that was just baked in and then it was in the environment. And so I picked up both of those ways of working in the world. And I'm not saying it was like horrible. I'm really over blaming my parents for anything at this point. Right. But you have to look at like, what was the environment? You know, what was the water I was swimming in and, and what, how did I make sense of things that happened in my household or things that happened in my classroom and are those still the ways I want to perceive people and relationships and interactions and events in my midlife body and mind? You know, it might need to be tweaked a little bit. Yeah. I love this idea of the inter- internal family systems, like as a council sitting around the table. I had this beautiful <laughs> visual of that in my own mind. And you said that, and I would love to unpack that for our listener just a little bit, because I'm not confident that our listener is truly familiar with the Mm -hmm. idea and practice of internal family systems. So tell us a little bit. I I think we're all probably familiar with inner critic that I'll say that because I know mine talks to me every damn day, pretty loud and proud. (laughs) But um, I would love to know where is the inner critic born from? Who are the other people sitting around the proverbial table of our internal family systems? And and how do we use that to overcome some of these negative narratives? Yeah, Yeah, sure. When I first was turned on to, I call it IFS. So when I was first turned on to the idea that we had parts, it made sense to me because I think a lot of us talk in that way. If somebody says, hey, do you want to go have Mexican food tonight? Somebody would be like, well, a part of me does, but a part of me had it for lunch, you know? Mm -hmm. So a part of me would like to have something, maybe like a salad, a little lighter. So we have that part of me wants to take a month off and go to Bali. And a part of me is like, wait, what about the bills? Mm -hmm. So we have that language already. And it was like somebody just sort of lifted up the hood to my car and was like, this is how this works. Okay. For you in particular. So there are categories of parts. There are different types of parts in our inner family. And I think about it as, First line of defense, second line of defense, third line of defense, and then who all those lines of defense are trying to protect. Mm. So the first line of defense is, is the manager part. They go out and they're preemptive about how they handle things. They like to keep things in control. So that could be kind of your image, some of that perfectionism maybe. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was, I was looking at your face. I was like, heavy right, internal management land? happening. Yes. Okay. Sure. <laughs> yes. yes. Image. Um, right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Control and management. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And we want to make sure that like anyone that's in the outside world that interacts with us gets that like forward facing us. Right. So that they don't judge us or reject us or criticize us. And then the second line of defense is the protector parts. 
Mm-hmm. And so if something got past the manager, if you weren't able to orchestrate something in the way that it will really flow and you look good, we're just going to use that as an example. Then if some criticism or something comes past you, we have the protector. So we could do the blame thing. Like a protector could be like, well, they're just an asshole. So that doesn't matter. Or we could always shame ourselves as well, but we're, we're trying to then get out the thing that got past our managers, right? The rejection, the judgment, make sense of it somehow. Protector might be like, okay, well, let's make sure we double down next time so that we don't make any kind of mistakes so that the person that is assessing our work is completely happy with us, right? So those two are kind of dealing with the outside world and our interactions and how people see us. Mm -hmm. And the third line of defense is our firefighters. And these generally, oh, this is general, right? Mm -hmm. But these generally land in some kind of addictive or avoidant type of behavior. Mm -hmm. Because this is like, all right, I have hustled all day trying to look good, be perfect, keep things organized. And now I get home and I'm going to relax. I'm going to escape. I'm going to numb. I'm going to just say we're off duty. So it could be, you know, anything that feels like it takes that nervous system from fight or flight way down. Right. Mm -hmm. So all these ways of defending, organizing, orchestrating, managing our lives. They're all trying to keep us from hitting the little kid, if you will, in the back that is like, am I okay? Is everything all right? Did I do a good job? It's like parts of us that are anxious or feel fearful or feel unworthy or not good enough. So if we can do our jobs out here and protect and manage and never get criticized, right? Which is an impossible goal, but we all sort of have it. Then we won't feel that, you know, kind of shock of rejection or judgment and we won't feel bad about ourselves. So I feel like I jumped to level three. Like, I feel like I'm like, I'm just tired. I'm taking, I'm I'm sitting here on the couch for the rest of the day. Like I don't even identify with levels one and two. And I know that's probably not realistic. In some way, they're probably manifesting that I'm not seeing. Yes, yes. And it's really cool to help people map out what their inner world is like. They are manifesting. Trinity, you're the fixer. You're the fixer. You jump in. You fix all the problems. And that's why you're so god darn tired. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It felt like those were more focused on me. And like, I feel like I'm fixing everyone else so much that I just don't even care how I show up. Like I'm Why do you think you're that. fixing everybody all the time or all well, the things? Make my life easier at some point. I'm sure. Yep. But I don't have to deal with other people's bullshit. Right. Because then what is it like to deal with other people's bullshit? What does that it's create? Chaotic. It's chaotic and they're dumb and then I'm angry. Yep. Mm. So yep. it's chaotic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how does that feel to you when things are chaotic? No, I get mad. I get mad. And then I yell, everybody sit down, shut up and do it this way. Starting right now. So that's your mm-hmm. manager, mm-hmm. right? Am I right? 
Mm-hmm. And anger is a protector. Anger pushes people back out of your space and says, mm-hmm. basically anger says, give me a second. Right. But it's, it's not like when you get to know these parts of you and you develop a relationship with how they're trying to protect you, you might have still have anger come up and signal to you that you need to have some breathing room but we, t- we have this really cool way of, of talking about parts in IFS, which is you get to know a part and then that allows you to speak for the part of you. So you could be angry, but you could speak for your anger instead of mm. from your anger. Tell us so more about could, that. How does that work? So if you are. My um, other side they, would like you to shut the fuck up now. That's what she's saying. That's what I start saying on calls. My angry side would like you to shut the fuck up. <laughs> yes. Yes. People and, are going to start to think that you have multiple personalities. Like, but see, yes. Side of me that's talking to me all the time. I, if people knew what was going on in my head, did y'all ever watch the <laughs> right. Disney movie Inside Out? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. With yeah. all the, yeah, the <laughs> emotions. Yes. So once the IFS world saw this movie, they were like, did somebody talk to Dick Schwartz who created IFS? Like that is, that's happening. You're always talking to yourself. That's the cool thing about IFS because it brings in mindfulness, which is my other all time fave, which is you get to notice that like, I am following some kind of movie script Hmm. that some part of me is, is directing inside of me and dictating but I don't have to like, that's what mindfulness allows you to do. It allows you to create your observer self. Mm. And so, but yeah, that ends up looking like if you're going to speak for your anger, it does end up looking like something like, you know, this conversation really isn't going as I planned or like, you know what I'm feeling like I'm about to say something that I really don't want to. And then as you've gotten to know some of the ways that you could take yourself down a few, you know, levels from fight or flight, then you can, I'll be right back. Or I'm going to go help my nervous system do something like clear out. And then I'll come back because I could make this a lot worse. And I'm, that's not what I'm about. I'm just about letting you know where I'm coming from. Hmm. So what I hear you saying, though, is if you take the time to get to know the parts that exist within your self, because it sounds like we all have kind of unique parts, maybe some of them are more common, like that old inner critic that always is Mm -hmm. sitting in the back of our brain. But some of us might have the angry parts or the fixer parts or the perfectionist people pleaser parts or Mm -hmm. um, so what I hear you saying is that mindfulness is a way. Well, you tell us, how how do we actually get to know our parts and what does that look like? Yeah, well, the mindfulness can help you slow down and get curious. Okay. so. If you wanted to get to know a part, if you wanted to get to know your anger or your inner critic or your fixer, we call it parts detecting in IFS. You you become interested in the part and then it becomes interesting to you how that part shows up. So that brings the curiosity to the table. Mm -hmm. So if you said, you know what, this fixer part of me if I follow the dominoes, it leads me to being angry. And then I tell people to shut the fuck up. 
Mm-hmm. And then I have to do all this repair work or I feel guilty or there's just this backlash of other stuff. So what if I started with the fixer part? So I really want to be on to myself in a more curious way, not critical about how this fixer shows up. So a lot of times I have people just talk out like, well, just out of your head, you know, like when's the last time you fixed (laughs) and what were you thinking in that? What were some of the sensations in your body? If you can slow it down and retrospectively look, what were some emotions that were going on? So this is mindfulness, right? Is, is picking out those ways that you particularly experience this part of you, but just how you particularly experience thoughts, emotions, and sensations. Then right. you, you get, you know, like, you know what, I'm just going to make tick marks during the day of when I fixed, like I'm going to, I probably will notice it after the fact, but I'm just going to start to bring to my awareness another mindfulness aspect because you're observing yourself kind of while you're doing it. That's why mindfulness should be taught in schools. Um, It's amazing for human beings. Uh, You just made me say, it's okay. I'm just going to notice it after, after the fact, but I just want to give myself an idea of, wow, this is a pretty prominent part of me. Mm-hmm. It showed up 14 times today that I could notice and kind of at the end of the day, do a reflection. How did it show up? What was the one thing that stood out to me today about where I got caught in fixing? Mm. So you just start to do some inquiry, right. getting to know how that shows up for you. And I can imagine that this would be a scary place for people to operate within because for example, in my case, I've trained people to come to me when things get fixed, not consciously trained them. Hello, I'm going to fix your problems. Mm-hmm. Please come to me. But they know if I go to Trinity, get the answer. It's going to get fixed. Boom. We're going to move on. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure within that there is this perceived self-worth and self-value that I have that's attached to that. And if suddenly I take the time to start making tick marks in order to ferret them out, then what the hell am I here for? Where is my value? What am I even worth? Right. I'm sure it's a scary exercise that people wouldn't necessarily want to disassociate themselves from. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's one of the stages of change that people go through is that they hit that contemplating doing it differently And then they say, hmm, yeah, there could be something that doesn't work out here if I start showing up and saying, you know, no, go figure that out yourself. But you say it in a much different way, because what you're ending up doing is, and by the way, by the time people land in a therapist or a coach's office, (laughs) they've gotten past, they've got the right on the edge of contemplation and motivation to change. And so they're kind of like, help, I'm burnt out. There's the ability to show compassion towards yourself for having that be a prominent part in your system and for inadvertently training people because you don't want to feel unworthy. 
So what we end up doing in IFS is we end up working with that part in the way back, Mm. right? That those three lines of defense that stand in front of it are trying to protect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And once you start to sort of help that part feel like, you know what, I, we call it relaxing the part. We call it unburdening what that part believes about itself. Once that starts to dissolve even just a little bit and you start to feel inside a little bit more capable of handling someone's emotion, if you say no, or handling somebody's freak out, if you don't show up and fix, yeah, then you, you begin to find the words that are true for you that you can then communicate with that person. So you don't just leave them hanging, but you do start to reconfigure with them what your role is in the relationship. And I'm not saying it's going to be smooth. There are going to be some people that are like, you handle shit for me and I don't want to handle it myself. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's why we all in the therapy coaching world have jobs. (laughs) However, (laughs) you begin to feel calmer inside so that making those external changes and actually saying things that you've hold, held on to for so long actually become something you're ready to do, not something you force yourself to do and then land in another sticky situation with a yeah. person. But yeah. something you said really stood out to me, Trinity. And I'm making a connection about myself. And it is... For me, maybe less about what I'm doing for other people. And for you, that would be, you're okay with not fixing things for other people from like a theoretical perspective. But then if you're not fixing things for other people, and for me, it's really like literally giving a hundred percent to every single other person, but myself So if I'm not giving a hundred percent to every single person, but myself, who am I? What do (laughs) I do with my time? Right. What? Yeah. You said something. I think the words that you used were, what is my worth? Right. So I think it goes beyond the act of maybe setting for me a personal boundary. I can set a personal, ba- I'm getting to a place where I can set personal boundaries and say, I'm not committing to running the eighth grade graduation. I always <laughs> do all the friggin' shit at the school. Like I am the one that everybody comes to all the time. Like Trinity's the one that's the fixer. Everybody knows, oh, Shelby, she's a pushover. She'll do all this stupid She'll shit that else wants to do, even though <laughs> she's got two jobs, you know, and I'm and two kids <laughs> and two kids as a single mom, but Shelby will get it done. And I do. Oh, I wish you didn't. <laughs> I know. So now I'm, but, you know, now I can, but that is, you know, then it's that question that's inside. If I stop the doing, Yeah. What is my worth? And what am I, what else am I doing? If I'm not doing all the shit for everybody else, what am I (laughs) doing? What am I doing? Because you don't know what you like. 
you don't know what you like. It's not like you've planned out all of these things that you're going to fill in all of these time blocks with right relative to taking care of yourself. You're like, huh, now what? (laughs) <laughs> exactly. So what, how do we fix this? Because what I hear you say, <laughs> we fix ourselves. So what I hear you saying, yeah, is that there's somebody, there's a child deep down inside of me somewhere that is thinking that my worth is found in the giving over of myself to everybody else. So then I have to, to go to that inner child somehow. And what do I have to do? How do I help her? The cool thing about getting to know all these protectors and managers is that you ask them the question that you just asked, because we want them to relax down from their soldier post, Mm -hmm. right? They're the forgotten soldier. You know, that, that story about someone from like World War One or somebody that they found and they were like, hey, the war's ended. And he's like, No, it's nobody told me, you know, that's what our protectors and managers are like. So we're helping them relax a little by getting to know them. And we ask them the question, what are you afraid will happen if you don't fix? And we help them with the fears that they have. And they might point back to that unworthiness back there. Yeah. Sometimes they do know that they're helping an inner kid. Sometimes they just know that they're supposed to make everybody happy. They don't know what, what's going on behind them, mm-hmm. but we, we start to talk to them and they're usually tired AF. Mm-hmm. They're usually able to do a part of that, that job description, but it got stretched mm-hmm. and they've been stuck in doing it in this particular kind of intense, extreme way. So a lot of times if we say, what are you afraid will happen? They'll say, well, you know, I'll get in trouble if I'm not perfect Mm. or um, I'll, I'll feel bad about myself. If I make a mistake, Mm -hmm. I'll feel like a failure. And, you know, I, I help people walk through that. Like, let's just not stop at failure. Let's talk about what failure feels like. Again, we're using mindfulness what your thoughts are like when you're in that failure place. And so we just start to befriend Mm -hmm. ourselves. We start to befriend the parts of us and we're helping them know that you can be a helper, not a fixer, or you could be supportive instead of running the show. You know, like, what is it that start? we start to just ask them, like, what is it that you would really enjoy doing Mm -hmm. if you were going to be doing, you know, a fraction of fixing, right? Because fixing, in my mind, when I hear that, it's like, that's a lot of responsibility, dude, right? Mm -hmm. You bring me the flaming, you know, (laughs) problem. (laughs) The flaming pile of poo and I'm supposed to have, you know, three ways of handling it while I'm doing this other thing. Mm -hmm. So if you get to know what's going on with the parts by asking them that question, then we start to help the parts go, okay, you know what, this is a valid fear. And how can we help with that fear? That's where some of mindful self-compassion comes in. What do you need when you're this fearful? We stop thinking about 
fixing. We just start to deal with the fear the part has. So it's not even about how can we get you not to fix? It's about what happens if you don't fix? Well, I'm afraid I'll get um, people won't like me mm-hmm. or I won't have an important role in people's lives. Okay, let's talk about what that's like. Yeah. So it's not about other people anymore. It's about the fear that drives and motivates the fixing. Well, it's funny because I can think of alternative ways that I could lean into creating an environment for people to be able to fix their own problems while still, um, while still really tapping into things that I love and that are part of my strengths, such as like my communication skills, asking really great questions, Mm -hmm. using genuine curiosity, helping people to, you know, remove the veil of their limitations and understand their possibilities have aha moments where they could develop their own solutions. And like, I would totally dig that, you know, it just feels like some days I'm like, this is going to take too long. Just go do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not getting sure. your You get something from fixing. What is it that you get from fixing or what is it that you are afraid will happen if you don't fix everybody? I'm afraid what will happen if I don't fix is that I will be impacted by the chaos And then I'll have to come behind and clean all of that up. And if I don't fix it here and now, I'm going to have to come behind you and clean up this huge mess because it is now impacting my life, which is absolutely unacceptable. Mm -hmm. Where do you think that comes from? Oh, 100% growing up, Mm -hmm. fixing all of the chaos around that was around me so that I felt secure. I felt safe mm-hmm. um, and knew what the next steps in our little chaotic life were going to be. Yep. So then Vicki, is it going to this person, this inner self and saying, what other things can you do to feel safe? Or is it Talking to that inner child, I feel like you said they don't know that you're 51 now. You do realize that I got my shit together. I am 51 years old now and Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily need this part anymore or because I don't think you can replace the the parts, Um, but you're talking about just making them relax. And then are there other parts that step in in this space where this one has relaxed, the fixer part has relaxed. And then you've got another part that steps in. Is there a cool auntie that can join the party? Yeah, exactly. I've been on the sidelines waiting for you to call me out all this time. Right? Yeah. yeah. So there's actually another part in the IFS world, which is called self capital S self. I borrow a uh, Jack Cornfield, a mindfulness and Buddhist psychologist. I borrow um, his phrase, wise heart. I just like wise yeah, heart. I like that too. Other than self, but IFS uses the term self. And so um, let me put a pen in self because that's your wise, cool auntie that's coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how you help the part relax and figure out what 
its true natural qualities are for your system is what you have probably done with people that you care about in your life. You have probably spent time regulating them, right? Mm -hmm. Like showing up in a way that is calm, centered. Mm -hmm. You've probably listened. You've probably offered compassion. You've probably offered suggestions, but not in a, you know, like, you better do this. So you've probably shown up with this vibe, with this energy that is, look, it's, you are who you are part, right? You're the fixer part. Mm -hmm. And I want to say thank you for helping me get this far. I also want to ask you what it's like to do this job, right? Some parts will say it's exhausting. Like if I ask my clients about their people pleasing and perfectionist parts at some point they have said, I'm exhausted. Yeah. So we show up with this self energy, this wise heart, this inner wisdom that is an IFS there. It, it's a list of C words. It's calm. Clarity, compassion, confident, creative, caring, centered. Um, you know, there's there's eight of them, and I always get like maybe six. But uh, so we help that part relax, and we're demonstrating to ourselves what we've been giving to other people, especially if we're pleasers and helpers. And we're giving it to ourselves. That's why it's like the U-turn. And we do it over and over because we're building trust with this part. This part has been sort of out on the front lines, if you will, doing the best it can. I remember some at some IFS training I was, I was in, somebody said, so is it like kind of like a baby on a battlefield? And the <laughs> trainer was like, yes, hmm. that's what it's like. It's a young part of us that is trying the best that it can. And we eventually, you know, build trust with this part so that it can allow itself to kind of go, oh, okay, hmm. I can, I can let go of the reins for a second. And then we're just continually demonstrating this as we go through the different lines of defenses, if that's how it works, it's not linear. Um, but we also then get to that part of us that feels unworthy or less than or scared or alone. And we begin to help that part. We kind of say, hey, you might not have noticed, but I worked with all these parts that were protecting you. And there is, there's other parts of, there are other sides of them, right? They're not just the protectors out there on the front lines. Yeah. They have reasons why they do things and feelings too. Mm -hmm. So do you back here. But the only thing I think about you is that you're my anxiety mm -hmm. or you're yeah. my depression or you're my fear, but you're really this kid that's gotten covered over by experiences and chaos and the family or and so i want to i want to let you out too i want to see what's there so we're doing this 
as cheesy as it sounds, we're doing this really beautiful unfolding Mm. and getting to know ourselves, not by like, let's figure this shit out and fix ourselves. So I don't do this fixing anymore, but as much as people want a fast shift in all of this, it really is a gradual befriending and building trust of, you know what? There's another way I can do this. And I have something in me that I can access that leads me to another way of doing this. So a lot of times it's a lot more gradual how we change our behaviors mm. than we're used to. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's but beautiful. And okay. I, I'm sitting here thinking about, you know, when you talk about the exhaustion, like how exhausting Trinity it is, what's more exhausting, fixing all of the things or navigating what potential chaos, if that really is a a true statement that might ensue after you didn't fix something, you know, and I love the idea, Vicki, I just want to hone in on the fact that you said giving what you give to others back to yourself. I thought that was so beautiful Um, when you come full circle and when you really recognize who is that self um, and what, what can you give to the true self that you're giving away in many respects to others. I think that's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I loaded well, y'all up with some IFS stuff. I hope all of that made sense. Great <laughs> stuff. And it was so beautiful. And I like almost feel like we need a part two here. I know. <laughs> I feel like we're just getting to the scratching the surface for all for all this beautiful work. But, but I get into the perfectionism stuff. Oh, oh yeah. Do we gotta go there? Really? Ah. Ah. Um, I'm working on her. I'm working on her. But yeah. if our if our listener wanted to find you and learn more, where could they find you? Well, my coaching practice, which is really where I'm hanging out these days, is Power to the Pleasers. So that's my website. That's my um, podcast. That's my Instagram account and all the all the good things. I tried to keep it simple. So Power to the Pleasers. Right. Perfect. Good. Well, we really enjoyed the conversation. If you couldn't tell, we were <laughs> going so deep. I love this kind of work and I'm, I'm really trying to get there to that inner critic and that people pleaser and perfectionist, trust me. Um, and this has just really shed some new light on that. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Thanks for having me, you all, and letting me blab on about it. It's, it's really changed how I do things. So when I can talk about it, I love talking about it. It's clear that you're passionate. So thank you for sharing <laughs> that passion with our listener today. All right, ladies. Okay. Thank you. Oh my gosh, that was an amazing conversation. Vicki, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your expertise with us on internal family systems. You know, I've been doing my own personal work on uh, healing my past trauma and doing a little bit of this type of parts work and really your explanation just has made things even more crystal clear to me. I just loved the conversation and appreciate so much you being here. A couple of things that I personally am walking away with 
is this idea of an internal council, that we have different parts of ourselves that sort of govern our lives and keep us safe. I love that you put names to them, like the managers are the first line of defense and how we show ourselves to the outer world. The second line of defense are those protectors and the third are those firefighters, which includes any kind of addictive behavior that we use to take our nervous system way down. So putting names to these first, second, and third line defenders really resonated with me. Two, we need to ask our parts what they need from us and what would happen if they just stopped protecting us. In truth, we may no longer need protecting, but our parts are just unaware that we're no longer in danger. So by asking them these questions, we can help our parts relax from their soldier post, right? Three, when one part is alleviated of their duties, it allows more space for self with a capital S, girls. So I, that is the space that I'm moving to. We'll never get rid of our parts. Our parts are a part of us, but we can help them to relax and let go of some of this firefighting or defensive responsibility that they've been posted in for so long. Four, we can treat our parts like we would any close friend. We listen to them, we show them compassion, we embrace them because in the end, we are really giving these things to ourselves. Ah, that is so powerful. When we give compassion, when we give love, when we embrace our parts, they're all part of us. So we are giving those things to ourselves when we do in that just really hit home with me. And five, we often look for a quick fix. That's our the nature of our society. We, we're an immediate, a culture of immediacy. But working with your parts is a beautiful and gradual unfolding of learning new ways to approach life and give love to yourself. And girl, if you are in this space where you're on life's journey, you're hitting the middle, you are looking for new ways to connect, to let go of what was in the past and forge a new future for yourself. We are your girls. We are here for you. We're going through this fucking process ourselves. And we know that we're not alone. We want you to know that you're not alone because we are stronger together. So join us, join our Facebook group, join us each week for a new episode on Monday and leave us a review. We want to hear from you. We want to know you. We want to know what's important to you. Share this episode with a friend, with a loved one, with a neighbor, um, anyone that you know needs to hear it. And let's meet right back here next week in the middle.